0: with AWB Contract Templates.
1: We spend our entire lives trying not to make waves in so many ways. And here's this kid that's coming up and they're saying, guess what? I'm going to make every wave and you're going to have to write it with me. It gives you permission as a parent to also like make waves. And I think that's beautiful if parents are brave enough to do it with them.
0: Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on a Play. As always, it is amazing to see you here where you are reminded to examine your beliefs, question your predisposed notions, and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. So, there's something about having the opportunity to have conversations on a podcast and to have a platform that is a part of my privilege um, that almost harkens back to something that reminds me of when I was a kid of like feeling like you just, why aren't you listening to me? It almost feels like the bossy little girl that's got her hand on her hip because she's upset because you're not paying attention to her in that moment, even if she's just fussing at her toys. And so to have this podcast be an opportunity for me to share different ways of thinking with people that have been conditioned to just think one way. People that were raised that we can only be one way and to really prompt opportunities to reconsider your normal. It feels like something that is it's it's important, it's necessary, and it humbles me to know that I have a platform to be able to have conversations where people can dig in and reconsider their normal. And today's conversation is one of those amazing opportunities that I'm very, very grateful for. I'm really excited to have Mackenzie Dunham on with me today. And this conversation just I uh, was so glad to have it. And I was so glad to know that I could share this with all of you. Um, Mackenzie Dunham is a clinical social worker who has a unique ability to meet both kids and parents right where they're at and help them come back together to reconnect or foster deeper connection within families. She specializes in working with transgender youth and their families and is highly regarded by clinicians throughout the Pacific Northwest as the go-to therapist for this work. Voted class clown in high school, her sessions often contain the healing powers of laughter, art, and music. She hosts the podcast, Camp Wildheart, which aims to guide and support families, foster connection, and reduce feelings of isolation for parents of transgender kids. So this podcast conversation. I hope that it comes through in the way that I really wanted it to, which was that I wanted to go into talking about therapy first. I mean, therapy has definitely shifted during this time that, you know, we've kind of gone through and are in a lot of ways still in the pandemic and just over the years that shifted. And so I think there's the discussion of normalizing therapy. We then go into what is it, you know, what are some of the ways that we can support the children in our lives as they're exploring, you know, who they are, what their gender expression is. And as they are able to allow their curiosity and their gender and their identity, be able to just be something that is a part of their growing and their exploration. And I also made it a point to make sure that I prioritize what the kids need. And then it's like, Hey, you know, what can adults do? Because I think, you know, We as the adults in our our children's lives are here to try to support them, but our kids still come first. However, we have to then figure out what we need to do. But again, prioritizing the kids, which is why I wanted to then make the third part that I really wanted to address, be going into how us as adults can do better. We don't know what it is that our children are experiencing or feeling if we don't give them a safe space to be able to share that with us. And we also have to be open enough to be able to have the types of conversations that allow them to feel affirmed and safe with us. So we have our own work to do to deprogram any of the things that we have grown up and been ingrained with. And so I feel like this came together, in this kind of beautiful, you know, laying out of what can happen and what's possible and just real excited for you to listen. So come on in listen and hear Mackenzie and I as we laugh a little too. Let's get it. All right, Mackenzie, thank you so much for being here with me today. I'm so glad to have you here and to introduce you to the pause and the play audience. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. This is wonderful. So I want to start off by just to kind of, segue in being that what we're talking about can feel like a serious and necessary topic. And we were talking before we got on, like, both of us are like, not uber serious. And do you know no. how to laugh? So <laughs> I, I feel like it probably would be a really great segue for you to maybe share one thing about you that
1: isn't so serious. This is something I share with clients. Like this is what I feel like is the most true thing about me is that I have an unhealthy obsession with musical theater. And, and so like, I used to have a cardboard cutout of Lemonwell Miranda in our office. <laughs> I mean, like, and I would print out his, like he used to do these good morning and good night tweets and I would yeah. print them out and put them on there. Cause they were so beautiful. These just little like things for the kids to see. And they were like, Oh, this is so cool. And I would always be like, yeah. And it's also theater. And I'm just like <laughs> such a nerd. And like, really just try and have fun every, any place I can. But I think that that's probably, I think that, yeah, I think that it's unexpected, but also true about me.
0: My children would love you, by the way, because mm-hmm. they will literally do Hamilton verbatim at all times. Oh yeah. So if they, would be, they would be really happy about that. It's funny, we were in a um, Black-owned bookstore, I think it's Uncle Bobby's in Philly. And that was where I, if I'm not mistaken, I saw the book that they actually turned those tweets yeah. into a book. I was like, this is so cool. And I didn't know it was a thing because I tried to stay out of the Twitterverse. Things can go very wrong. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that was a good thing that came from it. I was like, I had no idea. And I, I just thought it was such a brilliant idea.
1: It's beautiful. And I mean, that book in particular, is I have like three copies of it and i have they're everywhere. I mean, they're just... And the... the Coolest thing about that for me is like those were messages that he was giving to himself, right? And he just happened to put them into the world. I think that we can all appreciate that, right? I'm writing a message for me that's so – the common humanity of like everyone needs it.
0: I love that. Love that so much. And I feel like that is a perfect way to go into (laughs) the first question that I had to kind of ground in – the fact that you are a therapist and your therapy practice and so mm-hmm. being that life has done some things over the past few years <laughs> um to put it mildly mm-hmm. um how how has therapy evolved for you in these past few years for those that maybe are still nervous about the concept of therapy or even those that are like "Does it is it still the same is it just me what's going on because I'm in a bubble
1: yeah the therapy from well I feel like from 2016 on, therapy's been different, but really, um, since the pandemic started, you can do therapy from anywhere now. I have clients who sit in their car, and we do therapy via telehealth or video, which is just like Facetime, but it's like completely HIPAA compliant. And they will just go to wherever they're comfortable, they sign in, and just talk for an hour wherever they're wherever they are, which is great because you get to be in your own comfort zone. Like you don't have to come to some office. It doesn't have to feel like a stuffy thing. And that's, that's a, been a big change. Now, personally, as a clinician, I like, it's funny. Cause I'm like, this is a good thing. And also like, I hate it. <laughs> uh, and I do, I hate it. Like I love the energy exchange in a room. I love to like laugh and talk with clients. I love to like do art and like keep our hands busy while we're talking about hard things. And when we're when there's a screen between us, it's a very different dynamic. Um, but I love that I can see kids who are uh, hundreds and hundreds of miles away and don't have access to mental health care in any other way. So it's a double-edged sword but and also a win-win. So that's been a big thing. The other thing is that therapists for the first time are really like in it with you, yeah, you know. Somebody mentioned that to me and I'd never thought about that. So please yeah. share more of that. Cause when I first heard it, I was like, typically when you sit down to the therapist, the therapist is not experiencing the same trauma you're experiencing. <laughs> and right now we are, are in the last few years, like we've all been experiencing some collective trauma of the pandemic and oppression and like major political movements that are happening around the country and around the world. And Those are all things that are directly impacting our clients in major ways, but they're also directly impacting us in major ways. And so – one of the big jokes among therapists right now is, like, we just want to sit down with people and then, like, halfway through the session be like, okay, now my turn. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. Because we also need space to, like, process things. We don't do that, obviously. Um, <laughs> your time is your time. But uh, but that's a big difference, too. So, But I think that people need therapy more than ever. I think that right. with the last two years having been so, like, alone and reflective, um, people are coming out with – all kinds of things that they're like, I've been alone for a couple of years. And here are the things that have come out of that. Um, And so people are, we've seen, we're seeing kids come out as transgender in like record high numbers. And it's, it's a little overwhelming from where I sit, Um, but the need for mental health services vastly outweighs the number of therapists in the community. And so that's the other big shift. And the big change is like, we're trying to figure out how to meet the need while also caring for ourselves. So a lot of us have decreased capacity to do the work. And the
0: demand is just so high. So yes, the first time I heard a therapist share that entire piece of we're not normally going through it as we are supporting somebody through it, like that made a lot of of sense. And, you know, as you were first, you know, sharing the piece around how like, obviously telehealth has shifted things. My first thought was, you know, wondering if that has maybe brought down some of the barriers that people had because they no longer had to you know wrap their brain around it get to an office move into this space and and really kind of be in that energy where they could at least be anchored in their own energy when they did it but then there's the other side of even if that is the case so many more people have be either because they had to or because they really chose to really take advantage of the access to mental health because it's been more of a necessity. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like, I don't, I almost don't know if there's a chicken or an egg there. Like, I hope that makes sense. Like, I'm, I'm
1: like, what is happening there? I didn't even think about it until you were saying it. Yeah. I don't know if it's a matter of like, um, oh, there's a new way for us to access it. Right. I do think that there's a couple of things that do impact that too. And one is like insurance companies are covering mental health benefits in ways that they haven't Done in the past. Um, it used to be before the pandemic, insurance companies wouldn't cover telehealth for mental health services. And they realized, oh my God, if we don't cover this, then no one's going to be able to go to therapy and like we're going to have a huge mental health crisis. And so they shifted that in the pandemic. And now it's like pretty standard. Every insurance company covers it. So that really opened the doors which is great, right? Because there's, especially in rural communities, it's really hard to find therapists. I think also with that two years of downtime and two years of reflection, like people were unable to ignore and unable to numb in the same ways that they have for years and years as we're sort of like go, 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 going. And when you're forced to slow down, you're also forced to sort of feel things. (laughs) And I think that a lot of the... People in the community um, or just in the world were kind of like, oh, I have a lot of anxiety, or I have like, I've got this trauma that I've really just been sort of like numbing. Or it turns out I've been hustling my entire life to try and like make myself belong. And I don't have this thing that I had, which is like going to work and being productive. And now I don't know who I am or what to do. And so I think that that left a lot of people feeling really shook.
0: Right. So the interesting thing about that is, I think. Part of what happened, and please correct me, but even from my vantage point, I think even with insurance companies giving us telehealth, we still hit a point to where mental health is still a health crisis because mm-hmm. we waited so long mm-hmm. to be able to address it Um as as best as we could at that moment. And we're still, I mean, we're still not out of whatever this is. There's, you know, active war happening. It's like, oh no, no no big deal. No, it's fine. It's fine. Right. (laughs) And and so it makes me wonder how much of it could have been navigated a little bit better had therapy been normalized for many of us at a much younger age.
1: Yeah. I think that, a lot of our lives would be better if we'd had access to therapy. Um, and I think that from a younger age for sure, right? Like I'm sort of the anomaly. Like I've been going to therapy since I was like eight. Um, but most people don't do that. <laughs> um, no. no,
0: I definitely
1: did not get that. and I've
0: I've tried to work on as a parent
1: normalizing it
0: and
1: no. I did not get that. Yeah, well I'll I'll be really honest, right? Like I've been going to therapy since I like since I was 8. I'm a therapist. Like I've made this my career. And I have young children. My kids are 8 and 10 and I'm like, "Oh yeah, you could totally benefit from therapy, but I really don't want to put you in it." Right? Like there's this push-pull still like and it's in me, right? It's wired in in some way or another of there's something wrong with me as a parent if my kid has to go to therapy. Um and that's just not true and that was work that i had to do when i was putting my son into therapy but we don't like if that's in there for me as someone who's been going my entire life and this is my career right like that's going to be rooted way deeper for folks who've
0: never touched it right and i kind of make make the joke. I mean, I mean I'm, and I'm half joking when I say it, but I, I, you know, grew up with whatever I grew up with. And of course now as a parent, I'm like, okay, there's some things that I've identified that I want to do differently. Mm-hmm. And I've always just been like, I don't want to do anything that a good therapist can't fix. That's kind of how, <laughs> how <laughs> I've Because mm-hmm. even with the best of intentions, I am a human. Each of my children, same age as yours, eight and ten, are each their own individual. And so I can't I, I cannot say that what I did was perfect for you. I can say I did what I hoped would support you as best as as possible. Yeah. But I have no control over what may feel like You didn't buy me that one thing. And that was the whole trajectory of everything. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that thing may be or, you know, jokes aside, like, I don't know what it is about who they are and what they need beyond what they choose to share, whether it's with me or with a therapist. And so I hope to leave that door open as much as possible because the reality is, is that I think, you know, and being that you specifically, um, are you know really treating trans kids i think that there's this place of you never know what someone needs in reference to their mental health their identity the way that they're processing if they're never given the access to ever acknowledge it and i think that any space that it could be normalized might might because again there's no way to know support more people in feeling like maybe they could not get to a crisis state if they could have been able to work through this differently.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree with you 100% on that.
0: We can't talk around topics. We have to use language to call it what it is, no matter how palatable or unpalatable it may be. And in order to get to that point, you have to be in alignment with what matters to you and why. Being clear on this means you can chart a course that prioritizes your values and the impact they can create. Leading through your values means being explicit about what you support and how your actions are aligned with that. Every person you hire, every business you buy from, brings you closer or further away from your values. These values also support you in life, just like Mackenzie and I are talking about today as well. These are the decisions that will ultimately shape how you live and leave a legacy. If you are ready to join implicit to explicit today and have Indy and I guide you through, you can come on over to pause on the forward slash explicit. Do you think that with now there being more access to therapy, you know, kind of nationwide, because I know that it used to be, of course, you had to go to whoever was licensed in your state and was, was nearby. Do you think that, um, being able to have that access has, has made a marked difference, um, for trans kids and the people that are supporting them and them having to navigate their own therapy as well, because you can't support other people if you can't fix your own ish. Being <laughs>
1: honest, So true. So, I want to make sure I have your question right. Do they? Do I think that the access has made it better for trans kids? For,
0: for them as well as possibly made it more accessible for those that are supporting. Oh. It, that maybe don't know, like, I don't know what to do. I'm not sure how to do this.
1: So it's interesting, right? Because you said in your question that it used to be we had to go to the person that was close to us. And in some ways, we still have to. So... Licensing is still a state-by-state process. So the, the I'm a clinical social worker, and the clinical social work exam is a national exam. So I've taken it and that means that no matter where I go, I don't have to retake my test except for in the state of California, which sucks. And um, California messes up
0: everybody's <laughs> stuff. Because <back laughs> in the former life, I was a cosmetologist and they were like the only place that didn't
1: do reciprocity. I was like, really? That's right. That's right where it is still, right? They still want you to like, no, now you're in California. You have to start all over. So, but no matter what, if I were to move states, like I live on the border of Oregon and Washington and my practices in Washington. I have clients that live in Oregon. So in order for me to provide telehealth services in Oregon or to clients who are located in the state of Oregon, I still have to be licensed in the state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. So they issued us all these like emergency COVID licenses where we didn't have to like jump through all the hoops, but those are about to get lifted and we're all going to have to figure out another way to like Like I'm either going to have to pay the state of Oregon like a thousand dollars and jump through their hoops to get licensed in Oregon, or my Oregon clients will have to be physically located in Washington in order to do telehealth, which is just silly. So it doesn't, like the access points are still not really there. Like I would love to be able to provide services to like families in Texas or Arkansas um, or any of these states where there's, uh, or Florida, right? Where there's all of this legislation happening or even closer to me, Idaho, but I can't unless I'm licensed in that state. So it doesn't really open up access across state lines, but it does open up access for like kids who are in like West Texas to be able to get help from somebody in Houston, which I still think is wonderful. And the support piece, like to the people that are supporting them, I think that online forums and online groups, and there's tons and tons and tons of resources and online support groups for family members or people who've adults who are caring for a child who's identifying as transgender. And I think that that is wonderful. I think that there's also something to be said and done for the coaching license or not really a license. <laughs> um, well,
0: okay. See, I'm going to have to stick my my stake in the ground. As somebody that is certified to coach, I don't like the wild, wild west of, I'm just going to call myself a coach. You right. To, you can cause some damage. So, Yeah. I do think that any time that you are providing any type of therapy adjacent, because I am not a therapist Mm -hmm. and I am still supporting somebody with their mindset and what can clearly feel like mental health, like there needs to be some parameters in place. So I just want to say like, I am not for everybody
1: just out here willy nilly. I'm doing it. (laughs) I 100% agree with you, right? Like there needs to be some sort of like standard. Yes, absolutely. Some sort of expectation. Like, I need to know if I'm signing up for a coach, like, what's the difference between working with a coach and a a mental health professional? Correct. Right. And as a mental health professional, if I'm going to take on coaching, right, I should also know the difference between what I normally do in my office and what I'm telling these people I'm going to be doing with them. Um, And so I think that I think you're 100% correct. But I know that a lot of people will say, like, I'm just going to do coaching and then do therapy across state lines, Um, which is, yep.
0: <laughs> and I, I think that they're they can go well in tandem, um, but I think that obviously they are they're two very different things. Mm-hmm. And as somebody that is a coach, I've had a coach and I've had a therapist. They are not interchangeable. This is not a <laughs> potato potato situation. <laughs> and I think you know now I have had some therapists acknowledge that because the demand is so high that having that, uh, I guess you could kind of call it, it in interim almost like some filling in that can help sometimes when it comes from coaching, but understanding that it is not a substitute for no, but knowing that there, uh, if anything, at some point, it's just like, I, I need some type of help. I need some type of support. And so at least people are more open to something where before it was like, Nope, you deal with it. You suck it up. Yeah.
1: And that doesn't help anybody. No. Deal with it and suck it up. Doesn't help anybody. No, um, and I still sit with lots of families who even have bring their kids to therapy, and are still sitting here saying like, "I really just don't feel like I, sh- like it's shameful for me to even be here." Right. So before we can even get to the work of what brought them into the room, we have to deal with the shame of like sitting in the room. Right. Right. Let alone if I then say like, I think maybe you should talk to a prescriber uh, about medication, then it's like, oh, we're going off the deep end now because I don't prescribe meds. I don't touch that. I'm like, but Mm -hmm. if the therapy isn't getting us where we need to go, you know, that's another whole another stigma of now I have to take something there's something really wrong with me.
0: Well, and this is where unfortunately there's so much stigma around mental health as a whole, let alone even considering that if we can normalize it at a younger age, mm-hmm. we can normalize number one, just that like there's nothing wrong with you. Let's let's just start with that. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with you. And that talking to an impartial third party is actually about being objectionate about things and not just assuming that this person that knows you so well, that's going to possibly have a skewed view is going to be like the end all be all like, that's not always enough. And yeah, I think that when we are addressing the support that is needed for a child, that's already going through the regular, like, and I say regular in that, <sighs> hormones and puberty <laughs> and the middle school, like the oh, things man. that are, I write the things that are part of the process yeah. and then trying to navigate their identity in a very different way. And in ways mm-hmm. that I don't remember ever being, it never felt permissible when I was a kid, like yeah. it did, it was never part of the conversation. And so mm-hmm. with that, being on top of like, now you have acne too. It's like, oh, this is not fun. (laughs) I don't want any of this. And so, you know, there are a lot of parents that I think want to be able to let their children know that they are supportive of them because you don't know what they need from you. And if they happen to want to come to you and to talk about their identity, it's going to be a lot harder if they don't think that they can talk to you at all. Yeah, and so is there anything that, as a therapist, you think could really support more open conversation between parents and children? Yes, there are many
1: things. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, I asked you a big old question. (laughs) Like I could write a book on that question. (laughs) Um, But so I will start with um, non-judgment right? So if we can create a space and cultivate inclusivity in our homes, right? Like that's really where it starts. So, um, and I think that gender conversations, just like conversations about racism and um, white supremacy really should start at a very, very, very young age. And so we should be talking about gender and gender exploration and gender difference and gender variance. There's like children's literature about it. So grab some children's books and start like bringing those in. I think that if you want to talk about hard things with your kids on a regular basis, I think that children's books are a magical tool to do it. And I think that it creates a culture of reading in the home, which is really great, but it also like creates a place to talk about these things where it's not like something has happened and we have to talk about it, as opposed to like, here's this thing that we can talk about Based on this book that we just read, Um, and talking about things that are happening in the world that are not directly related to like your family's particular situation um, is really, really helpful, right? So, like, and I talk about this with families who have kids who are out as transgender too, right? Like, so talking about things that are relevant to the queer community that are happening in the news or whatever. At the dinner table, even if nobody in your family identifies as queer or that you know of identifies as queer, like, that creates, a, a like, a signal to your maybe queer child that's like, oh, okay, we can talk about this. This is okay. Right. And taking them to events in the community, right? Like, whenever there's powwow in my community, because my community is on um, land and the tribes are really active here, um, whenever there's a powwow in the community, like, we go. And we – participate in the ways that are appropriate for us to participate in. and But it's about like intentionally trying to create opportunities for your kids to like learn and like explore and expose themselves or exposed to different ideas and ways of living in the world. Take your kids to pride, right? Like pride is so fun. <laughs> 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 it's like glitter and rainbows and like People just dancing in the streets, like, so take your kids to pride and, like, allow for them to, like, recognize that it's okay for us to be whoever we are, but really just having those conversations regularly. Media consumption is another big one, right? Like, so if you only watch movies as a family that are people that look like you as a parent and have only heterosexual couples in them, right, that sets sends a message to your kids about what what's quote unquote normal. And so bringing that in and like intentionally seeking out films or documentaries that feature a queer couple or like have trans kids in them, like it's so great. So there's lots of, it's becoming more and more, more and more common in Children's media and, t- and like young adult media for there to be uh, queer characters. I know it's less common, in, um, unless you have to go to the LGBTQ section of Hulu, uh, that you find those things. But there's plenty of really good documentaries on the way that trans people have been represented in the media, and like really great conversations. If you've got adolescents to like be able to have those conversations, um, so that's that's how I recommend it. But non judgment is the big thing, right? Like even if you judge somebody else right like in the way that you're talking to your kids you're like oh, i'm so open-minded and open-hearted but then they hear you talking about other people in a in a way that's judgmental that sends a message to them that that's in there so really being careful about the judgment language that comes out it's a real trust eroder
0: well that just goes into that whole you know do as i do do as i say kind of thing and it's like yeah. mm, no that's that's you know a clear disconnect and it's 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 not accurate because there's clearly, you know, a a difference here and and not a positive one. And I think that and I'm I'm 42. I grew up with kind of being told that, you know, whatever parents do is the the end all be all. And that's Mm -hmm. it. Don't ask Mm -hmm. me questions. And, you know, now we're really getting, and not even just now, but like, it's very clear that like, kids are like, uh, no, that's BS. I don't really like that. Like, what is that? I'm not doing this. This is silly. Like they Uh will look at you sideways if they're just Mm -hmm. like, what? That doesn't make sense. And so, I mean, I I think that it does hearken to them feeling whether it's because they know it or not, but they feel at least a little more emboldened to really kind of address like, that's not what I want. I'm going to, you know, advocate for myself. But I also think that For those of us that, you know, are not 15, 20, 25, um, that probably grew up with very different stories, I think there's a lot of deprogramming that can happen to get out of our own way in Mm -hmm. how we want to be uh, better parts of a support system. And so... and I'll, I'll make it easy. Give me no more than two, because I know if I open it up too far, it's cool. like, oh, you just asked me for all the things here. Uh-huh. Oh, two things that, you know, those of us that grew up with very different paradigms can get out of our own ways to actually be helpful support to our children that are navigating their identity and whether or not um, they are trans and what they
1: need from us. Cool. Okay two things. So one thing is to do your own gender work. So what I mean by that is anytime a kid comes in with their families and their parents are like, our kid's trans. We don't, are saying that he's trans? We don't really know what's going on. One of the first things I have everybody do is write out their gender journey story. Everybody has a gender journey. Um, Everybody, cisgender people do, transgender people do. And so, but Cisgender people have never given themselves permission or even taken a second thought to look at what that is. What are the messages that they've received over the course of their life about what it means to be a girl or a boy or feminine or masculine? And so really, like, take your time and di- like dig in. What were your first messages about gender? What did it? How was gender reinforced positively or negatively? Is there anything in your childhood that you wish you would have had access to, but you didn't have access to it because of your gender or your perceived gender? Were you ever forced to wear certain clothing or have certain hairstyles based on your gender that you were not interested in? What would you have rather had? And really giving people permission. And as you do that, a lot of parents then can start to begin to go, oh, I see what this is. This really is a social construct. And you can start to see how that social construct has wired you throughout your life. And then that's when you can start to go, okay, I can let go of some of these things. I think that another really important thing that parents can do, this is a little bit more complicated, but parents of a trans kid or a kid who says they're trans, dig into your resistance points. So what I mean by that is if you find yourself saying, no, don't be trans, like, why is this hard for me? And then why is that hard for me? And why is that hard for me? And like continuing to dig deeper and deeper into like, why am I saying no? What am I really saying no to? What do I wish would be happening instead? And I think that in order to do that work, it's scary. And I think that there's a lot of feeling that has to happen. Um, So finding other families and other parents that are also parents of trans kids is like one of the best things that pa- that families can do. Um just normalizing it for yourself, I think is really great. That's too many things. We've already said I've already said three. So,
0: <laughs> no, no, all, all of the above are are necessary and I think everything that you mentioned really goes back to as the adult having to acknowledge, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but where our fear is getting in the way of somebody that probably has less fear in that moment
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. and I think that one of the biggest things about one of the things that I find to be so consistent with parents I love parents like I love like my favorite clients are the clients who come in with their kid and the parents who are in the parents are like, we have no idea what we're doing. we don't get this. it feels uncomfortable and gross and I'm like, great, you're right in the right spot but one of the things about it is that We don't realize that one of the lessons that we're taught, I think particularly when we're socialized as um, women or girls, um, is that people-pleasing, this like I have to be a certain thing in order to be lovable and what it means to be good and uh, the whole good girl concept um, and how We spend our entire lives trying not to make waves in so many ways. And here's this kid that's coming up and they're saying, guess what? I'm going to make every wave and you're going to have to ride it with me. And I think that that work, just that right there of I've spent my entire life trying to not make waves and now I've got this kid who's pushing me straight into the ocean is very overwhelming for folks. Um, But I think that one of the things that calls us to do is really dig into like how much time and energy do I spend people pleasing? And how much of myself gets lost in the people pleasing? And when you've got a kid who's pushing you into the waves, it's an opportunity for you to also recognize that you want to get you want to swim in the deep end or you want to go snorkeling or scuba, like whatever it is, like I'm using all these different analogies, but like it gives you permission as a parent to also like make waves. And I think that's beautiful if parents are brave enough to do it with them.
0: I love that analogy and the way that it's something that you can do with them. And I think as a parent, the things that they let you into and that you can do with them can be such a beautiful bonding time Mm -hmm. and that doesn't mean that it's always perfect but like there's there's so much that can can be fostered and it's not about the trauma bonding it's the legitimate support and evolution that's happening and the Mm -hmm. honesty the you know radical transparency that can happen and you know, as a parent, I just think that that's such a powerful,
1: powerful space. Absolutely. When kids invite you, and that's really what's happening when kids come out, Like that's something that I'd love for parents to just sort of recognize, right? When your kid tells you, I'm transgender, um, or even I'm gender curious, I don't really know what's going on. They're inviting you to know them in a way that is their most authentic self. And I don't know very many teenagers or kids in general who walk up to their parents and say, like, please know me in the most authentic way Mm-mm. because of how scary it is, right? Like, my no. 10-year-old would is like, no, don't, I don't even, like, I don't, no, don't even look at me. Um, <laughs> right. And, you know, like, and he's 10, right? But that's, it's such a, like, trans kids are saying like, know me when they're coming out. And I wish that parents saw that. That's what was happening. Um, it's I feel like it would feel like more of a gift than it is a burden at that point. Right.
0: I agree 100% on it being a gift and I can't language it for anyone else. However, it, I hear nothing but a gift that is being, and again, like we, we all knew the parenting wasn't going to be easy and we Mm -hmm. didn't know (laughs) what was going to be in it. It was just like, here you go. Here's this mystery bag. Good luck. (laughs) I'm, I'm yeah. supposed to use this with this little part. Okay. Yeah. okay. All right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we don't mm-hmm. know. And there's so much to gain for everyone involved
1: if you're willing to be open in that way. Yeah. I think that the best case scenario is like, just like you said, like you get this little bundle, you don't know what it is. And I think that when we continue to go into it with, I don't know what this is, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, oh. You are a child. You are a girl. This is what you are. You're my child. Therefore, like, I get to dictate all of these different terms to you. And there are things that we do get to dictate to kids as parents, right, you know, health and safety. But if we can create that space for them to be their own person throughout their entire lives, like, we're setting them up for the best case scenario, I think.
0: I completely agree. So... Being that we've talked about therapy and the normalizing of it as, as much as we can for those of us that grow up with it differently, which I think is a huge piece of kind of the base of even considering it, let alone figuring out how does it show up for, you know, me as the adult and, you know, this child that I'm a parent of and how this can support them in navigating their their journey of um, being trans or, as you mentioned, being um just gender curious, um, is there one action that you would share that you would like the listeners to take after listening to this episode and being able to hear our dynamic conversation
1: in order to make a positive impact? I really think that the one action that I would encourage listeners to take is that reflection on their own gender journey. I think it's such a powerful awareness. To know that my gender, even my gender as a cisgender person, I'm not a cisgender person, but my gender as a cisgender person is still, I was still shaped this way, right? It just didn't all come from within me and I still had to find my way to the place where I feel like the most me within the social concepts. And I think that as we give ourselves permission to let go of the social constructs of what gender says we're supposed to be and really thinking about why gender says we're supposed to be that way um, or society says we're supposed to be that way. Uh, I think that it really helps to, I don't know. I just think that everybody just gets a little shook and I think it's good.
0: <laughs> no, I, 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 it's, it's cause as soon as you said it, like in my head, my own little, you know, journey started to tick through. And I think it's uh-huh. a, it's a, it's a genius thing to consider and it, makes you really question, was this my decision or was this decision made for me? Or did I choose this decision because it created peace and Mm -hmm. I chose peace in that moment? Like, I think that there's so much there and regardless of, you know, kind of maybe what you end up at, I think it, it's a space of possibility of like, oh, I didn't think about it that way. And that ability to, as we talk about often here, to reconsider your normal is where the power really comes in. Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: This was so good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mackenzie. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness, this was of course. So fun. I love talking about this stuff and it's fun to be on this side of the interview as opposed to the other side. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I was gonna say, like sometimes it's nice to like switch to the other side of the microphone. It's like i will oh, doing it. Yeah. And before mm-hmm. we go, make sure you tell people where they can find you and your podcast.
1: Yeah. So my podcast is Camp Wild Heart. And you can listen to Camp Wild Heart at on any streaming platform that you can get it. And our website is wildheartsociety.org. And uh, so if you're looking for a therapist or a clinician to help you guide the guide through it, it's a great place to start. Again, anyone
0: that is seeking that support, McKinsey's website was very welcoming and that makes a big difference as somebody that has tried to search for a therapist and that will stop you in your tracks. The website mm-hmm. really felt inviting and it it felt affirming, which even as a cisgendered person, I appreciated it. So that's great. Please Good check it out. It. Please go check out the podcast. And again, thank you so much, McKinsey. Yeah, thank you this conversation was so good I feel like I say that all the time but I y'all I like to talk and I knew that this could very easily become a very heavy conversation and I didn't want it to be so heavy that someone that needed it wasn't able to get what they needed from it and so being able to have that time with Mackenzie to you know be able to laugh and still talk about what was important I, I I couldn't have asked for more. And I really loved the amazing takeaways that Mackenzie gave you to go ahead and really have your own exploration to figure out what does it mean for you and how it is that you can then better support your children or the children um, or, or young adults that are in your life. So for taking in this conversation and being open to reconsidering your normal, I thank you. People think they know what to expect, but they have not met you yet. Biweekly, weekly India Jackson, co-founder of Pause on the Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values and amplify your influence by giving the Flaunt Your Fire podcast a follow today. As we close out, I want to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehanna, Piscataway, and Nantigal people native to this area known as Maryland. And you know, we always show up here having real conversations so that we can normalize the challenging things and make them a part of your everyday exchanges. This is how we remove stigma and create real change and connection. This is how together we can cross lines and recreate boundaries. Together, we can continue getting more people to drop the veil while they challenge their thoughts, feelings, and actions. So for being here, thank you. And until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. I'm ready to get clear on what matters. Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person, or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take, and then sharing this information across your team explicitly, this is what creates confidence and integrity and what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?